This week on the Ocean Cruisers podcast, I'm having a chat with Colin and Jamie from the YouTube sailing channel Parlay Revival and Colin from the TV show on Bravo called Below Deck. Colin and Jamie are both sailing around the Pacific at the moment on a Lagoon 450, which they refit extensively after being damaged by Hurricane Irma. If you want to come sailing with Colin and Jamie, they're both going to be skippers at the Odyssey Sailing Festival in the BVIs in December of this year. Check out theoceancruisers.com backslash odyssey for tickets. If you want to follow along with our journey, you can check out some of our recent refit videos which we've put on this channel. We're about to get in the water in a couple of weeks, but for now, enjoy the chat with Colin and Jamie. I've already had about three or four today. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> right, cool. Right, um, so, go on, so what what did you do before Parlay? Like, what so job did right you have? Be- right before Parlay, I was working in remote communities. And then okay. uh, in Australia, up in the Northern Territory. And then I was like, stuff this, I want to get into yachting. So I went and did a few courses about going into yachting. And then I was traveling South America. And then I was going to go to to get a job and Colin advertised on one of the yachting um, sites on Facebook saying he was looking for crew like this was five years ago mm. and I was like oh that sounds all right because he said like he's an engineer he's been in the super yacht game for like 10 years and I was like if I go on the boat for a month or something he might be able to hook me up with the job on a super yacht mm. so I did that and more I or less been out. here for five yeah, been here for five years, more or less, on and off. Never stepped foot on a super yacht. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Just got a non-job on a catamaran yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, so, so that's how I fell into this. And then so I love the project. Stayed by it. So what, what were you doing in the Northern Territories? You're doing community work. Like, what, what does that mean? Yeah, what like that building, building houses and that for the local people. So it's like a oh, government nice. um, organisation. Yeah. So you, you go out for so long, like four weeks on, one week off, and yeah, it just goes. You fly in and out of like islands, like into the desert, wherever. Oh, but there's nice. a lot of work that goes on. So that's like for the like the indigenous people in Australia or indigenous tribes yeah. or something like that. Yeah, more or less. So some Aborigines. of the yeah. yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. communities five hundred people. So it's from a community from like say. 500 up to 1500 and yeah they just you go there and then they work with you through a program and stuff like that right so oh, that's yeah. really nice. i have i have gone back a couple of times since i've been on parlay it's quite mm. good money to be honest and yeah. fast so yeah that's what i was doing but got over it pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you do that for that was for Probably before I come on the boat, maybe one or two years. And before that, I was a butcher, had some right. uh, butcher shops. Right, nice. Okay. So you said like somebody gave you a hint of working in the super yacht industry. Like, how did that tickle your fancy? No, no, I'd never, I never um, stepped foot on a super yacht. So I always liked the boating idea. And then I thought I might try and get into it. Um, after being out bush, I was over it. So Mm. This is how I got into it. I just did a couple of courses and then didn't even need my tickets for anything. Never used any of it. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come in handy. Well, it'll come in handy. You need your tickets, actually, for uh, the BVI, so it will have come in handy. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so, that's, so that's what it was for. All right, that's cool. Um, right, Colin, you've been an engineer on super yachts for 10 years before you got Parlay. That's right. Yeah, about that. Yeah. And how, how did you get into that industry? We Did you do like marine engineering at school or did you fall into it? I did um, mechanical engineering at university. Nice. And then all of my mates that I did uni with went into like office jobs, suit and tie, working their way up this ladder. I, I went and did a couple of ski seasons, one in mm. Aspen, Colorado, and then one back home in Queenstown. And then just one of my mates started working on super yachts. And at that time, he was getting um, 3,000 British pounds per month, you know, all tax-free. It's all international waters and all that kind of stuff. And I was just yeah, nice. heard of it before. So I, I uh, started to pursue that a little bit. I moved to Australia, started working on some sailing boats there, and then um, got my first job in like 2009 in in the med in uh where was i in nice south of france oh, nice. and uh yeah worked my way up really quickly because they acknowledged my degree so i only needed mm. like a quarter of the sea time of everyone else that was going the engineering route yeah. um so, yeah i was like 26 and a chief engineer on like uh what was like a 40 meter yacht so mm. yeah i was pretty lucky in that regard you know like uh just in terms of like understanding a bit more about the industry, <clears throat> how do you go from working on like sailboats or like bigger charter boats, like a 30 or a 40 meter boat where like the engineering system is pretty, it's just a bigger version of what you get on a normal boat. You've just got a big engine. You've got a fairly standard electrical system. How do you go from working on boats like that to then working on, you know, something like Parsifal free, which you're on now at some point, or you have been in the past where, you know just completely wild like it's a huge jump yeah it is um yes yes and no like the systems on a on a 30 meter yacht are, are all the same on a on a 56 relatively the same but um just to a to a larger scale um mm. like the hydraulic systems are just huge and and a lot of the stuff you'll actually have to get contractors in anyway to do the work because it's just um you know for insurance and all that kind of stuff you can't go yeah the engine apart often on your own you'll have to get the contractors in so it's still under warranty and stuff like that so it's um it's almost easier working on a bigger yacht there's just more paperwork yeah more safety more permissions and all of that kind of stuff um so yeah i think you got your work cut out for you more if you're like in the 30 meter range and you're like a sole engineer um yeah. everything from a light bulb to the wi-fi to the stabilizers you're you're in charge of so um it's a lot of responsibility but if you go up into the 50 60 70 meter range you got a second engineer sometimes even a third engineer um yeah it's a it's actually easier i think to work on a bigger yacht yeah i mean especially if you just like call in the people who are providing like the warranty and the service if, if anything's going seriously wrong which makes sense because i can't imagine a super yacht just be like oh let's hire an engineer and take that engine apart that's worth like 200 grand like <laughs> it'd be a bit stupid if they did that so yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly. We just yeah. filmed a, a season of Below Deck last year where the engine had a total failure, filled up with water, and there's only yeah. one engine on um, on Parsifal 3. Mm. Um, so I had to do some real cowboy stuff to, to get that going, but I had to get, like, written permission from the owner. I wasn't going to go near it until the owner said, 
um, yeah, I, I give you permission to to try salvage that engine because there was a good chance it would blow up. It was full of salt water, and we don't know how long it was full of salt water for. So right. up pumping all the water out of the engine and filling it up with diesel and flushing it all through, and it was it was wild. But you'd never dream of doing that if it wasn't unless you know that was a TV show scenario where we had to go and mm. get that boat running or it was millions and millions of dollars that were going to be lost. So yeah, yeah I mean, that would have been the season over. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. How did that happen? How, so the the actual engine block filled up with salt water. Yeah. Yeah, full. Or is it a um, gasket? The aftercooler. After yeah. What cools the down going into the engine? Um, that had like a it must have been a pinhole because they had to pressure test it and they saw some bubbles coming out of it. But um mm. yeah, it just it sat at the dock for like just over a week. Um and and yeah, it just slowly filled up the engine. It's something that you'd you'd never dream of was actually happening. Um, mm. So we started filming and on the first day that I'm on the boat, I couldn't start it. And then I wasted like 24 hours um, troubleshooting the starter motor system. It was hydrolocked, yeah. but I thought the starter motor, motor was right. good. So I wasted like a whole day um, going down the wrong path, replaced the starter motor and checked all the wiring and everything for the battery cables. And it was, yeah, it wasn't that. It was just Little did salt I know, water. It, was, it was full and it was hydro-locked. So, right. uh, yeah, it was the last thing on my mind that I thought would be happening. Well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think, especially like when from the outside it looks so perfect. <laughs> like every, everything looks fine. Have they, not, have they not got like sensors or anything that can like, like tell you the viscosity of the fluid in the engine or the temperatures? Or I just thought I mean, they'd the be hooked up with all types of sensors, those engines. They'd just done a passage from, I think, Spain to Italy where we filmed and everything mm. was perfect. So you shut the engine down, you literally turn all power off to the engine. And yeah. it wasn't until you fire it up that uh, it was she was locked up. So, yeah, no, nah, there's not something that's just continuously monitoring an engine. It's the same as your boat. If it's off, it's off. Like considering the price of those engines, like I'd, I'd have thought they probably had a little bit more technology in them to like prevent that type of stuff happening you know when you know how they say you know if it's not broken don't touch it um mm. that actually was the case the the engine was working okay but they just wanted to get a few things serviced so they sent that after cooler out to get serviced so when they cleaned right. it and they tested it and all of that and then transported it back to the boat that's probably when it had failed rather than if they had just left it you know that they didn't do anything wrong um mm. as in the boat captain lee uh, captain glenn or the engineers or anyone but um, if they hadn't have touched it, it probably wouldn't have leaked. But it is part of the right. uh, scheduled maintenance to to do that stuff. Mm. So it's just one of those things. Well, good on you, mate. You just saved someone a few million quid by, uh, <laughs> by saving that engine. <laughs> Did yeah, he send you like no, a case of beers or, or a bottle of something? As a thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing. But I got a lot of praise out of it. You know, the, the engineers are normally behind the scenes. So it actually featured in a few episodes on TV. So that was, I guess that was my recognition for what, it, what was going on behind the scenes normally. I think it's the first time ever that like any real engineering things have been shown on that show. And they've done, I yep. think they've done 26 or 28 seasons of this show, but mm. the engineers are normally behind the scenes. So I'm yep. possible, I think, I think it's because it's small. The sailboat version is smaller than the motor yacht version. So I can't really hide out of all of the shots. I don't mm. have my own 
space, so to speak. So they have to show the engineer on the show. Whereas on the motor yachts, they can, you know, they got a big control room, big crew area. They can be out of all of the action. Yeah, the TV action. But there's plenty of engineering action going on, but no one's filming it. Mate, if they filmed just the engineering action, I'd watch that every, every week. I swear. If That's it was just that like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Like I would. If if it was just that, mate, even if it was reality TV with just engineers in the engineering room, I'd probably watch that as well, actually. <laughs> I'm really interested in that. That'd be quite cool. Yeah. So what right, Jamie, I'll go back to you. So your your sailing experience prior to seeing this message off Colin was uh zero, I, I, I think. Yeah, I never had any um, experience on a sailing boat, didn't know how anything worked or anything. So he was in Martinique and I think I was in Colombia or something and I flew from there to Martinique and that was the first time I ever got on a sailboat. So when we left Martinique, that was I didn't know which way we were going or how it was working or anything. Looking out the back, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which way does it go? Which way's forward? When, when, <laughs> yeah, when I first got there, we had we had to tie, tension the rigging. So the first two days, I think I was there, we're up the mast for two days, t- trying to undo all the rigging and tightening it and fixing it all up. So I was just swinging up, up there for a couple of days. My first few days. Bloody hell, he threw you in at the deep end. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, get, just get a greenhorn in and just send them straight up the rig. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is this, this going to hold my weight? Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Get up there. Yeah. It will both yeah. up there too. For, at what point? So, you know, obviously, like you, you sacks off the, um, the work that you were doing in the Northern Territories in Australia and then, you, you know, you went over to South America. At what point were you like, okay, I want to I do this as like a permanent thing for my life? I mean, you're doing boat work for a long time before you even got out there. Yeah, just I was over it in Australia. And when I was traveling, I wanted to find something more traveling and working at the same time, like to balance that lifestyle. And mm. this is the this is a project I found and it just fits everything. It ticks all the boxes. It's, yeah, and like super yachts, like we're speaking with Colin and that, it's like more you got to be dressed properly, you got to be polite, you know what I mean? You need, like to, wear the, need to wear a shirt, shoes. Um, you got to be up at seven o'clock in the morning, and then you might not go to bed till ten at night. And he, he said, <laughs> "That's what put you off." <laughs> no, no, but he said, like, <laughs> to be in bed by 10. he more or less said, like, I don't think it's going to fit. Like, go for it if you want, but. I don't think you get, you think like if you get a bad captain and then you bet bad owner, it's like so strict and you're strict, mm. restricted everything, you know, and like you might work seven days a week for two months while the owners are on and it's like a nightmare. He goes, yeah. and when, when I work out bush, I can go or out in the remote communities, I can come and go whenever I like. <laughs> so our bush, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm out in the bush, yeah. Yeah. I think the bush is more suited for you than super yachts, mate. I don't know you that yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, more like, that's, <laughs> that's how Colin let me down with it. He's like, oh, come on, you think? Right, okay. I'll sailors better for you. Yeah, it probably saved you, saved you a lot of hard work there then. Um, <laughs> right, Colin, yeah. when did you start actually um, sailing and uh, getting on the water? Uh, when I was 16, I bought a Hobie cat with a good friend of mine. And oh, nice. hadn't really sailed much before that. 
um, but just fell in love with it. It was so fun. We went down to uh, Auckland Harbour there, and obviously a Hobie Cat's got no engine, so we just didn't know what we were doing. Just sail out into the middle of the harbour, run out of wind, and there'd be big cruise liners coming into the harbour and stuff, like the big womp, womp, like it was just so fun. And, uh, yeah, fell in love with it. So my first job on a boat was on a sailing boat in the Great Barrier Reef with Sunday Island. Oh, nice. And yeah, unfortunately, after that year, I did probably 10 years on motor yachts. So I wasn't mm. doing a lot of like um, sailing on, on for work. I was doing it recreationally, but um, yeah, ended up on motor yachts, which is a better gig for an engineer. There's more space. Everything's just yeah. more. There's just more. A sailboat's tight. It's like any sailboat, you know, storage is a problem and access is a problem. On a motor yacht, yeah. you can just stand up and work on the engine. So um mm. yeah, different ball game. So I'm I'm not I'm not unhappy that I wasn't working on sailboats, but um yeah, Passable Three was my first proper sailing super yacht gig. Oh, nice. Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. So you you had the hobby cat when you were younger, you got that with your mate, and then uh, so I take it you were working on the super yachts before before you got parlay before you started cruising yourself. Yeah, so Hurricane Irma yeah. came through at the end of 2017. Um, mm. I signed the papers for this boat um, January 2018. Yeah, um, that was that was crazy. When I think back on how that all unfolded and what happened and the risk that I took and everything, it just feels like. I don't know, mate. It was just it was just destined to be because if you thought about it logically, it made no sense. Yeah. But for some reason, I just had this um, something telling me. My instinct was telling me this is going to be fun. This is going to be good, and so I went for it. But it was nuts. The boat had sunken on the port side. Um, yeah, it was nuts, man. Look at those photos you sent. Literally, everyone I spoke to was like, "Don't buy that boat. Like, that's too much work." And mm. I still didn't listen. I don't know what was going through my head, but uh, yeah, against everyone else's better judgment, I bought it, and it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of work. Did you have much? It's like, I mean, so you're pretty handy because you're an engineer, obviously. But did you have any? experience like refitting boats or doing like fiberglass or core work or anything like that before nothing i mean i've, I've fixed a few dings and a couple of surfboards that was about it with with fiberglass <laughs> right okay <laughs> but my my like <laughs> my motto in in life or whatever it's, it's always been to like just just seek help when you need it you know or just yeah you know don't try to tackle something that's a little bit beyond you um always get the right advice and then go for it so I made friends with um, Idrid, a guy who owns BVI Yacht Painters, and he's the best fiberglasser in Tortola. And, you know, just bought him a few beers after work every day and just picked his brain bit by bit yep. and became friends with him. And then in the end, he was coming on for daily inspections on my work on Parlay. Um, and, and that was just, you, that was priceless, you know, to, to yeah. do a day's work and have him come and, and he was ruthless. He'd be like, no, rip all that back off. That's, I can see some air bubble that looks a bit white, like pull it off. And it, mm. it'd be demoralizing at times, but at least I knew I was doing it right with, with my friend yeah. Ben as well. He had done, he had actually done some fiberglass work on pools, some fiberglass pool stuff. Um, okay. 
but it, it, it's and we've always when we don't know how to do something we try to ask an expert and we don't really need them to show us exactly how to do it but just to get the right advice is really important i think yeah. um it's the same with the rigging we just replaced all of our rigging we did it on our own but under the guidance of uh the owner of selden shipyards so selden yeah. mast so um you can't get much better advice than that but yeah. uh <laughs> yeah so he's that's that's why i want on the boat on uh in the at the festival is is jonas yeah, yeah i noticed that's when i when you said oh it's uh jonas i was like okay and then i saw the email address so i was like all oh, right okay that's an interesting one I'll ask him yeah ask him a few questions <laughs> yeah no any any like and he's you know he's he's we're partners with them but he's um the biggest asset that he provides us is his knowledge and yep. he'll tell you that himself um you know what he what he knows uh we'll never learn in a lifetime but he's probably forgot more than you'd ever learn as well <laughs> like the yeah, people who've done exactly. people who've done that type of stuff yeah, yeah it's just i found like the biggest help because like, I, I took on a pretty big project here it wasn't as big as your project it wasn't upside down in the water or anything like that but it yeah. had been um been on the hard for like three years and the previous owners had just more more or less like abandoned it um so there was there's been a lot of new stuff to do and i found that the best advice you can get is speaking to people asking them questions about exactly which materials and which tools are right for the job um because you know like a an engineer who's got experience on that particular engine they can be like oh you're wasting your time just do this it's a two minute fix that'd save you a load of time and when it's come to yeah. like the fiberglass and the painting stuff just advice like no use this type of thing it's, it's better or if it's hotter like try this type you'll get a better chemical reaction out of it or something like that and that's priceless because you can't find that on the internet just one one tiny word of advice from an expert can save you days and days of labor or oh, yeah. one, one or using the right tool for the job so yep. we had put probably 100 meters of biaxial glass into this boat and mm. then total <laughs> total boat sent us that package yeah. and it had uh electric uh shares in it and so we just cut through a hundred meters of fiberglass and it that you know the, the scissors get blunt um mm. you know a lot of small little patches a lot of cutting um and these shares came and you just press this button and you just cut through it like butter oh yeah like if, if we had had that six months ago holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> it would have saved weeks a lot, of time, a lot of times we needed a lot of different tools trust yeah. and like because when we we're in Guatemala, and thing we couldn't get a lot of the right tools either, mm. so we had to do what we had. Yeah, I've always like followed a rule whenever it's come to like this boat or my previous one. It's like if there's a specialist tool that you need for a job, like just buy it and just keep it on the boat. Because like just having access yeah. to like like good quality tools as well is priceless. But that's when you're in Guatemala. Like Rio Dulce doesn't have much, and like in Panama. Linton Bay Marina is like two hours from the city, so you don't want to go to town just to grab one tool. So you try and work it out how you can yeah. get it done. Unless yeah. you're David She. Unless you're Dave She, he just drives around Panama. All <laughs> David Shee, it's a little he hero that guy. Sort of hours. He had a, he yeah, had a yeah. damaged 450 as well. But any excuse 
that he could do the two and a half hour drive into Panama City and come back to pick up a bloody paintbrush, he'd be mm. doing it because it was so much better than fiberglass work. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I, I would probably yeah. agree with that as well. Actually, <laughs> five hour trip. Yeah, I think I'd take a few drives to Athens before sanding this boat again for sure. Yeah, so that that would be cool to talk about. To talk about. Um, I suppose like the activism that went on in in a way a little bit because um I I watched those videos when you were releasing them because I I like boat refit videos that's that's my type of thing um yeah you like really pushed hard on the manufacture of that boat and you got some good results for a lot of the uh, owners who also had um some pretty damaged boats like with the bulkhead situation and all that yeah, it was. There was rough times. There's a lot of hate and love in between. That, <laughs> that yeah, it was not all. It was definitely not all pretty on Colin's side. That's for sure. Yeah, it it, it was. We didn't go after Lagoon. Um, we were just making these videos about our repairs, mm. and it just became apparent. You can you can watch the videos and and see us going from oh man this sucks like how did this happen to us to it being like hang on a minute this may not be the best design mm. and so the, the <laughs> videos were changing and um, you know a lot of Lagoon Four Fifty owners were watching and um, started checking their bulkheads which no one would have done because you have to rip the cabin apart to see the bulkhead. Yeah. So they started inspecting them and all of a sudden there's like 200 boats with the same thing. And that's when it was like, shit, there's a, there's a serious problem here. And mm. to, to Lagoon's credit, they, they, they stepped up to the mark eventually. Um, they obviously didn't appreciate our videos at all. And I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't no think they did. Publicity, you know, Um <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was it was a strained relationship between us and Lagoon for a long time, mm. um, and, and now you know if if you've got a damaged Lagoon 450 with the bulkhead issue, they 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 pay for the reinforcement kit, so yeah. it's a stainless steel plate. I you know whether you agree with that being the ultimate fix or not, um, the jury's out on that. But we're, we're not experts, so I don't know. The experts in the field are saying that's all it needs. Um, so I think a lot of Lagoon 450 owners are just trusting that, but I'm glad that we did it the way we did it. Um, but our boat was way more damaged because of Hurricane Irma than your average private boat or charter boat. So it was a, it was, it was a pretty rough time. I spent, I lost a lot of sleep over it, you know, owners and cause we dropped the value of the Lagoon 450 or maybe even Lagoons in general for quite Mm. some time. And a few owners that were selling their boats really didn't appreciate that they were the main ones that were cracking up about it it was the owners like you fraud Mm. you're like just trying to do this for more views and things yeah that's terrible that like that's such a stupid accusation like it's not you're not the the truth is like right there isn't it you're showing people what's going on inside the boat it's not like you're making it up some of those big haters at the start were people that were sending emails, what, three months later, like, look, sorry, thank you for, like, looking after mm. us. Like, you had a family on a Lagoon 450 and we could have, something really bad could have happened. So, and some of them were the really bad haters at the start. Like, we're just commenting on everything, sending emails and, like, you're full of shit, you're not talking to Lagoon direct. And we were at the time. So, 
mm. yeah, in the end it all, a lot of people come back to us and said thank you. Oh, well, good on them for, like, turning that around and doing the right thing and saying thanks, I suppose. Yeah, that's all right. But but then a couple did a bit of dodges, like, were our friends at the start and then bought the lagoon and then tried to sell it off, saying there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. So there was a bit of mixed emotions there for a long time. Yeah. You know, there's always stuff with boats, like, no matter what boat it is, like, you could go and get an oyster, like, Amel, like, the new Amels have got issues. There's two um, Amel... 55s in this yard here and both owners are complaining about the same i think some issues with like the um uh steering systems and then there's like a couple of bulkhead issues that they're talking about and they're talking to amel about it so like all boats have got it i mean none of them are perfect and they're all different like every every six years they completely remake you know a a new boat in a way so you're always going to get new issues that are popping up i think it's just if they do the right thing and improve on them that's the important thing yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we've had boats come up to us that want some advice or want to show us, us their issues, and it'll be a Fontaine Bajot or, or a mm. Leopard, like boats. There was literally a boat with a with broken bulkheads in Linton Bay where, where we were, which was a 48-foot Fontaine Bajot. Right. Not to throw it under the bus, just to just to generalise that all boats have issues exactly like you're saying. Yeah. I think in particular with catamarans as well. I mean, it's obvious. Like, if you look at the shape of them, like they, they are, you know, meant meant to do this to a certain extent. It's just how much can they do that before it just it just like snaps <laughs> All stuff just starts breaking. Shape. You know the 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 you know we've seen the finite element. What is it? Finite element analysis. The FEA charts and stuff. All, all the stresses and where the stresses are and what they do to alleviate those stresses. And it's mm. it's a very very complicated thing because these boats don't heal over. So when they're yeah. overloaded, um, something wants to give. Whether it does yeah. or not is a different story. But there's a lot of force on one particular area. Whereas your boat will just heal right over. That's your indication to be like shit. I should be reefed right now, mm. and you know, there's a lot to be said for that. We don't have that. And yeah, um, yeah things break. Yeah, so it's always a compromise depending on the boat. Um, right, so just going back to like buying Parlay, were you in the market for like a non-hurricane damaged boat or were you nah. just like, I want a ridiculous challenge here? <laughs> Not a ridiculous challenge. I wanted a ridiculous price. I right, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've done 10 years or so on super yachts and had a fair amount saved up, um, but not enough to buy one of these brand new or, or used, undamaged. Um, so Parlay would have been worth probably 450 grand at the time. And it, this is public knowledge. I got it for about 150. So right. uh, it was a it was a fraction of the price, but I've probably put in put in about a million dollars. <laughs> feels like a million dollars. Definitely, yeah. Definitely a million hours. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Good investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good investment for sure, yeah. You, when, 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 you, when you bought it, were you aware of, like, the extent of the work? Because you'd never done it before. It was, a, it was a completely new thing for you. I don't think anyone that buys any boat is ready for a Man, you know, there's always out. a surprise. Yeah, even yeah. a brand new one, even a brand new one. Like, so the own this is a funny story. It's not very funny, but this is a story. Um, the owner, <laughs> it's a story. <laughs> yeah, the, the owner of this boat, his name's Bob. He's become a good friend of ours. He um went out and bought another boat. 
um, after this one got so damaged. And within like a couple of months of him buying it, he thought he had bulkhead problems on on his new boat. And uh, he this was is the fifty two. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah. how is how how is this even possible? Like, how does have someone have this much bad luck? Um, and they they opened it all up, and it it just was superficial stuff, just some gel coat cracks and whatnot. This is on the boat that we're going on. Um, but yeah, it, it, every boat, you know, you buy it and you find a whole bunch of cans of worms that you weren't prepared for, and uh, yeah, it can be pretty demoralizing. It helps if you can do the work yourself. Um, <laughs> it makes it makes it a shitload cheaper. We d- we did the calculations on this boat because I got I got this pretty cheap, and I've saved. I expect about 70 grand just by doing the work myself. Um, that's not including materials. That's just like probably about 70 grand in labor. That's why it would have been sat around. Like nobody would have ever bought it unless it was somebody who could like done the, done the work itself. Probably the same as Parlay. It might have just sat in that lagoon <laughs> for uh, for the rest of time, just waiting, uh, was, just waiting to dissolve. What was wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it to be honest. It just needed a lot of it needed a lot of cosmetic work and just bits and bobs here and there, like a lot of stuff need changing. But the solid stuff was fine. Like it had been re-rigged. Um, engine as soon as I got on board, just check the engine straight away. That wicked in first time. Generator was good. Had all new like Raymarine equipment on board, new T decks. So there was a, there was a lot of good stuff about it. But it had just been left in a yard for three years, and it just looked like shit. Like anybody who walked on it would have just been like. Ugh, like i'm not not doing anything on that boat with your purchase price and all of the if you did include your labor and whatever mm. you charge yourself out at you think you're still um ahead of the game as opposed to just buying one in the same condition that it's in now yeah definitely way ahead well i spoke i yeah. spoke to a broker so i paid 130 for it um if it was the same boat, not cruise ready, but just like out of the charter fleet, you could probably sail it away, but you'd have to spend cash on it. It would have been 200. Um, I've now got like lithiums, panels, you know, all new upholsteries, fabrics. It's, it's ready to circumnavigate now. And um, the bro- a broker turned up last week and said you could sell it for 240, no problem. So like I've probably spent, I've spent like four and a half solid months on it. But by like four and a half months, I mean like I wake up at eight, I work. I stop for tea and then I go to sleep like at 12 immediately after just like putting a tool down. So it's like, it's been like 12 to 14 hour days, but, yeah. um, but and you, what, you know, how much have you put into it? If you don't mind us asking, we've got a lot of sponsorships, like as we were talking about before, which has been really cool. Um, but in terms of like how much cash I've actually spent, it's going to be 30 grand. Yeah. No. Yeah. 30 grand. Yeah. That's and then, yeah, yeah, it's a good deal, mate. I mean, I've got no intention of selling it. The best thing about it, and, it, and it's like, you know, the same with Parlay now. You know, every inch of the boat, every inch of the boat that needed to have been rebuilt has been rebuilt by your hands. And you are assured of the quality of that work where, you know, if you were subbing that out, it would cost you a fortune. A lot of people that work on boats actually aren't that great. Like some of them are pretty good, but you come across a fair few cowboys and, you know, it's just luck, isn't it? Like, did the dude working on the engine actually give a shit or did he not? And that could that could cause you a problem. Yeah. yeah. The, literally the, the, the last system or last thing on the boat that we hadn't really touched or replaced or rebuilt was the rigging. And we mm. just did that in Mexico um, in a couple of weeks. We were going to put out the episode about that. But um, oh, nice. apart from that, 
everything else uh with we've either replaced or rebuilt so yeah know the boat pretty well brand new boat in a way <laughs> how, much <should laughs> it, sorry, how, how much should it cost like to do a re-rig on that out of interest because those are bulky wires on a on a catamaran of that size like if you're just yeah. talking about the materials like you know this the, the stanchions the, the wires how much would that cost so because we're in mexico and we couldn't get any of it in mexico mm. um we had to get it all from the states and then yeah. some of it we got from selden but they didn't have things off the shelf so some of it we got from another rigging company but it was about 15 grand for all of the standing rigging yeah it's pretty steep boom or anything like that that's including getting it down to mexico and you got to right. pay a pretty crazy tax um across the border there everything's 19 percent mm. um so yeah, it was about 15 grand. And that was with some solid deals as well. That was with deals. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like good deals. Good <laughs> deals. Yeah. That was with good deals. Jesus. Right. Okay. So I but suppose if you if your average Joe wanted to just rock up and get one of those re-rigged from a rigger, they'd be looking like easy into the twenties. Easy. Yeah. We went with stay lock fittings as well. So okay, they're nice. really expensive, but, um, you know, more, uh, get a longer life out of them. Yeah, and you can mess around with them yourself as well. Right, so flipping expensive things to re-rig. But, I mean, th those boats aren't actually that old. Is is? I mean, are they coming up to the end of the life with the original rigs, or was it just yours because yeah. it had hurricane damage? Yeah, um, it's 2012 boat. So mm. it, uh, it's been over 10 years. Plus, it's had two lightning strikes. A couple of strikes. And yeah. she's had a, <laughs> she's had a rough, <laughs> rough life. Rough life. I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tested the durability of that boat. Um, cool. All right. I tell you, what, just moving on to like future plans. So you started out in the Caribbean. You've done a lot of cruising around there, and then I know that you went a bit further north as well. Now you are in French Polynesia right now, I think, still, yeah? You know, it's always like, oh, like, like, let's just take each year as it comes and let's see what happens. But you must have a dream. There must be, like, some destination where you're like, oh, my God, I've got to get there. Like, I've got to do that. What is it? Yeah, Tortola. Back, back to Tortola. That's the, that's the ultimate destination. That's where it started. That's where it's going to end. Mm. After that, I don't really care what happens to the boat, but I have to get this boat around the world. Um, nice hit that goal and there were enough people saying that it couldn't be done for me to want to do it yeah so, yeah fair. <laughs> those are the people that kind of drive me i'm a very competitive person and when someone says you can't do something and you you feel like you can uh mm. you, you go for it yeah that's my motto yeah. anyway there was a guy in the yard here when i was like sanding my holes down because i did like a full top side repaint it's this old german guy came up he's like oh you will never finish this you will never finish this I was like, fuck you, man. I'm going to finish even harder now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you stay there and watch me finish this. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about the route you want to take? Like it, certain stops that you want to make um, on this circumnavigation? Yeah. The, the, the only like um, fork in the road, I think, is when we get to somewhere like the Maldives yeah. and up through the Red Sea or is it? you know down to south africa that's mm. apart from that it's, it's just kind of the milk run you know going through asia most likely through the red sea um yeah. suez canal med atlantic and then you're home um yeah. I think that sound a lot easier than it is but <laughs> yeah <laughs> should be done in 12 months yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> optimistic yeah i think i like i'm i'm 
in the Mediterranean. I love the Mediterranean. I think it's the best place for cruising in the world. Uh, I've never cruised anywhere else, so I don't really have a clue, to be honest. But I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah, I'm strong <laughs> on that. Um, <laughs> wonderfully ignorant. Um, I reckon no, you've got to get Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I've sailed there. Like I've crossed, I've crossed the Atlantic, and I've I've sailed around the Caribbean, and um, but never never is like a cruising ground where I've you know like hopped around islands and stuff like that. But no, I love the Med because it's um, I'm big into history, so it's just incredible. You know, you can drop anchor, and you you know you're in Croatia, and you're anchored at the side of a castle that's a couple of thousand years old, or you know, in anchor up in Greece, and you know you're outside of like you know, some ancient God's temple or something like that. And it's, it's wicked. It's amazing. It's completely different yeah. perspective from just looking at nature. Polynesian now, the Tuamotu Islands. Mm. Um, absolutely incredible and yeah. super challenging navigating around here. Um, we have to like float our chain in most places we anchor in so that it doesn't just get snagged on all the reef and bombies and stuff. Mm. Everything's uncharted, so it's all you know using um, Google Earth sometimes yeah. to get through somewhere, or um, a lot of eyeball navigation. It's it's been really challenging, but it's um, you know the beauty of this place is is it's priceless. How untouched is it? Because like uh, th there is obviously a lot of tourism in French Polynesia. I mean, the super yachts there, and it's a pretty active like holiday zone. But like, is is there islands you can go to where it it does feel like you're in a tropical paradise and there's probably no one around? Yeah, yeah we're at right here. Right yeah. <laughs> oh, you're there. You're at that one, yeah. <laughs> we can't even see another boat unless one comes to the uh, this afternoon. There's no one mm. here right now. Amazing. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to get to that part of the world. I'm not that excited about the Caribbean, but yeah, getting over to French Polynesia is like. I've just got to dive in those waters, man. I've got to go scuba diving every morning. I just think, um, yeah. I just think it looks looks perfect. Yeah, make sure you get a yeah. compressor. We don't have a compressor, so we use our tanks up and we're screwed. <laughs> oh, you buggers! I got a mini compressor. It was actually pretty useful. It was like seven hundred euros, and um, you have to put and a fair few one? filters on it. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the brand. I, I I just tested it out in my swimming pool, and I've not used it for like two years because I've really been diving. <laughs> but no, it's it's probably about the size of a couple of laptops. It's a heavy thing, um, but yeah, it's just got all these uh, filters that you attach on, and then um, it takes a while to charge up a like a fifteen liter tank. It pro probably takes about thirty minutes or something like that because it's not like a huge industrial one but yeah it works it's pretty cool it's cheap and it's oh. small like the the full-size compressors are massive it needs a ton of ton of ton of electricity or gas right listen boys thanks so much for this chat this has been wonderful right. and um i wish you the best on this circumnavigation uh, hopefully i'll see you in the med in 10 years yeah. who knows how long it'll take <laughs> For sure. Well, we're excited for December anyway. That's going to be epic. Yeah, mate. This is, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like, we've just got some absolute legends coming along, haven't we? We've just got some people like Laura Decker's coming, you know, just some people who've done amazing things on the water. It's going to be brilliant. Yes. Yeah. No, we're super yeah. amped about it. And for us to be back on Parlay 2, well, not back on it, but for, for the first time on Parlay 2, that's just an incredible story for us to tell. I couldn't believe that. Like, when when you, when you sent me that message, you were just like, oh, Parlay 2 is in the thing. I'm like, I don't know if that's one of the names. And I just thought you were talking about a random boat that was called Parlay 2. And I was like, oh, maybe he just loves the name Parlay or something. And then when then when you were like, no, it's the same owner as like the, previous, as like the boat that we had, I was like, 
oh my god what are the chances of that happening that's that's crazy yeah. wow jamie mentioned it like a, a week or two beforehand and he just said i wonder if bob's boat's gonna be in there and i was like mm. what are the chances of that and then <laughs> look at the list and parlay to lagoon 52 i was like what the hell like yeah we had to be on the boat man we had to yeah, it's an amazing story, mate. That's so good. I just think what would be even more awesome is you complete your navigation, go back to Tortola, and then you buy Parlay 2 off Bob. Yeah, yeah. And he gets Parlay 3. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be full circle. Yeah, <laughs> and go snap its bulky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just wait for it to get in a hurricane first. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. All right. Cheers, boys. All right. No worries. Cheers, mate. Cheers for cool. the chat. Yeah.